Welcome to episode 56 of Attention Plus with Arnab Ray right here on the Talking Stuff Network. I am Vikram Mohan. Before we proceed though, let me tell you about Binge On, our podcast where we recommend things that you can watch online. In episode 6, Raj and I recommend four horror movies in Tamil. Most of these have subtitles, so do check out Binge On for a new theme in every episode across languages and platforms. Uh speaking of horror by the way, our host knows a thing or two about it and uh, he happened to see the second chapter of it and tweeted about it so uh, let's ask him a bit more about his thoughts here hey arnab hello you mentioned that you enjoyed uh, the chapter 2 in parts do you want to elaborate on this a bit sure so first of all the, you started off with four tamil horror movies are these available on streaming yes all uh, everything on binge on is available on streaming and uh, you should check out uh, one of uh, the first one i would recommend is uh, game over i would love to know your thoughts on that in case you haven't seen it okay i think i've seen this on netflix i've seen this 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 in my yeah, suggestion why don't, why don't you tell us about it and game over okay so i haven't i haven't seen game over so i've seen it I've seen Game Over being suggested to me, but I haven't seen seen Game Over. You do have Game Over, by the way, in Hindi too, so uh, you can uh, watch it in Hindi. Okay. Is, is is it the same? Is it the same movie just dubbed? Yes, yes. It, it it's okay. uh, uh, shot simultaneously in Hindi and uh, uh, Tamil. Okay. So I saw it the sec- chapter two uh, last weekend, and uh, for those of you who don't know what it is, it is. Uh, possibly the the most iconic horror novel ever written as written by Stephen King of course and uh, it's like a 11000 page novel uh, it's also considered by many to be in, in the in the last century one of the one of the great american novels not just horror horror is usually normally taken to be a sort of subgenre as kind of a children of a lesser god nobody really takes horror as a genre seriously in terms of its literary merit but it is one of the very rare rare novels that kind of straddle it is a great horror novel and it is also considered to be you know a great american novel because you know there there are two parts of it that i like to i like to say that there's there is one part of it which is uh, really about childhood uh, childhood friendship uh, the kind of you know the, the the way a child first understands the evil of the world how how adults bring that evil into the world adults and also children about prejudice uh you know everything 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 that's evil around the world how it slowly soaks into the life and how the the ones that are most vulnerable the most vulnerable children inevitably get caught up in this evil the most it is a beautiful allegory and and it the 11000 pages of it is pretty much all about this so the that that's that and then there is this absolutely silly story about an evil clown from space both of these are housed within the same book and one is about like primal fears about memories about friendship this is a it's a beautiful beautiful book and then there is the other part which is not so beautiful it's a it's a very normal a story about an you know evil clown from space so there is this part of the story where stephen king talks about you know how the clown came into being and in the kind of history of the clown and that's mm, when i read it i, I read it as an adult also so i 
that that part of it was 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 not didn't work for me so coming back to the movie that's exactly the same problem that the movie has the movie which is very faithful adaptation of the original and the perfect adaptation because of course it has to skim out a lot of things in a 11000 page book but it but it maintains the essence of what makes it great which makes it a great horror movie one of the greatest i would say greatest one of the greatest horror movies especially in two parts that 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 have been made but it again it suffers from the exact same problem that the original source material suffers from that there is the part where the the five friends are battling the evil clown which looks like a which looks like for any generic summer blockbuster and then there is the part where they go in where the movie goes into memories and the memories we suppress the memories things we choose to remember and that's where it is masterful so of course it's definitely worth watching or definitely i would definitely recommend people read the book and watch the movie i think they're both great in their own ways uh you should definitely in if if again if you haven't seen or read it i would obviously say see the movie first because it's a much smaller investment in terms of time and if you like it then do definitely go back and read the book remember there's this, there's a big difference between the book and the movie there's one thing because in the book uh, when the so those of you don't know it it's about a it's about a town called derry where you know children are vanishing because they are being eaten by this evil clown who manifests in different ways and these five children who are kind of they call themselves losers they're all social outcasts in different ways they bond together as friends to defeat him and then 27 years later the clown comes back again you know he, he basically eats children and then hibernates for 27 years so again the 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 metaphor is that every 27 years the kids then become adults and so the evil that they imbibed now they pass on to the next generation i mean that's that's really the reason why it's 27 years in case you didn't realize it so and then they're called upon uh themselves they call themselves a that they, it is their mission to finish this evil clown now even as i said this, this this book in the point of difference that you should remember is that when stephen king wrote the book the modern time was the 1980s and the 27 years ago was the 1950s and for this movie the modern times is today and the past is 1980s so that for because of that the story has had to change a little bit um another than that i and i think they 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 make that work they they do make that jump through the time pretty good um yeah definitely definitely recommend it i mean again it's it's the second part suffered from the the original source material but it's still way better than any horror movie that you that you normally go and see for me of course i didn't see the chapter 2 but uh, chapter 1 i had one i wouldn't exactly say problem i uh, it you know i enjoyed it but because of the fact that uh, it's set in the same era and they also i think cast one of the uh, kids from uh, stranger things stranger things it, yeah it it seemed to be like stranger things the movie so that part of it was like okay man am i really watching stranger things the movie because they also got the boy from stranger things which i think was a casting mistake honestly no well <laughs> to be honest stranger things is a rip off it is it is than the other way around i, I agree but, but uh, yeah. the entire premise of so again i think that the makers of stranger things have never said that they've always acknowledged their debt to stranger hey, things absolutely absolutely and so so it, it is it is it is so it's very difficult for those of us who grew up reading horror 
again, I, I didn't particularly read Stephen King when I was growing up because somehow I, I mean, I, it, it's foreign books were expensive for some strange, some, some reason we didn't have horror books. The, I started reading Stephen King once I came to the U S and that was, I was not a kid anymore. Um, but again, I, 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 I think I, I, I'm okay with that. I, I didn't, I mean, I don't like Stranger Things a lot, so that didn't. I mean, that that kid didn't kind of sear himself into my mind, so I wasn't like seeing Stranger Things when I was watching it. So. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, today's topic, though, for the podcast, this is something you've been alluding to in bits and parts. I think across the past year of the podcast, every now and then you've spoken about it in bits, and you've also promised us that someday you're going to be addressing this as part of a full-fledged podcast. And that's, of course, about doing a PhD. So, uh, Dr. Arnabre, why don't you tell yes. us about this? So, this is a question I get asked a lot, not just through, you know, through email, uh, in person, that, you know, since I have done a PhD in computer science, is that should I do a PhD? And I have been asked this many, many times in, in many different contexts. And... I have a very strong opinion on this. And for me, I think let's start off with the short answer. The answer is no. Now, of course, this is an extremely simplistic answer. And, and, and the actual answer is, well, it depends on who you are and what you expect to get out of life. Now, that's really vague. And I think that answer can be given for practically anything. But let's, let's deconstruct this a little bit. So f- for me, my experience of PhD brings me to the absolutely definite conclusion that I should not have done a PhD. The person that I am, it, this is not something which was suited for me. Now, is a PhD in general an useless exercise? Now, the answer to that is obviously no. Um, if you are in humanities, I, as far as I know, if you're humanities, then you know, get doing a PhD is essentially a rite of passage. You have to to do a PhD. It, it makes sense also in physics and chemistry. In, in, in disciplines which have, which have been there for hundreds of years, I would say, it's impossible to make any kind of contribution. There's just so much to read and know that a four-year bachelor's education and two years master's education, the six years, is just not enough to cut it. It just does not allow you to imbibe 400, 500, 600 years of human experience that's needed in order to make even a small incremental contribution to the field, which is why in literature or in biology or in physics or chemistry, you have to do a PhD. However, it is not so. It's still not so in computer science or electrical or mechanical engineering, which are more practical professions, which are by their very nature more practical. In them, I would say doing a PhD is useless. So let me let me winnow down. And again, I would also say that last time I said this, I, I received an angry, I wouldn't say angry, but I received a very strong email from uh, somebody who was a petroleum engineer who said, you, you have absolutely no idea, do you? Um, for a petroleum engineer, doing a PhD brings, you know, brings great joy, at least in terms of the money they make. As it is, I, I didn't know this, but... Uh, I thought the software engineers make the most money. Apparently, that's not true. Do you know that, Vikram? Is that petroleum engineers make the most money? No, I didn't know And that. orders of magnitude more. Yes. 
and so this this person said that in i mean it's true that petroleum engineers make a lot of money so there's even less incentive to do a phd as per your logic but a phd and uh, that person is a phd says immensely helps it in all leaders in petroleum engineering and all phd so your contention and i'm going to come to that that leadership is closed to people once they do a phd is not actually true so again there might be individual industries very niche industries that what i am saying doesn't make any sense and i accept that because we can i don't know and maybe but just like i missed petroleum engineering the last time there may be something else that i am missing this time but in general for computer science and for electrical engineering most of my listeners i kind of understand also have a very similar educational background to me that they're all essentially people who have done engineering and generally based on the people that i interact with i kind of they all there's this this kind of sameness to their backgrounds and i think that's this it's natural because i think they kind of can connect to the kind of content that i have been producing for the last 15 years so before i you know before the negativity of what a phd is and how i totally regret it let's just look at let's first consider the positives is 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 phd you know a totally bad thing is it like getting herpes that there is nothing good about it well, no getting a phd is not like getting herpes there are a lot of good things about <laughs> about about, your, about getting a phd so uh, there are a lot of good things and i and i personally can say i have gained a lot from doing a phd now is it worth it is another question we'll come to it so for those of you who like my analysis and my writing i don't think that i have would have become uh not a fiction writer but a non fiction writer i think from a non fiction writing those of you who, who liked my deconstruction of the wall street crisis or my deconstruction of modi or kejriwal you know that that very nature of taking anything and deconstructing analyzing logically analyzing breaking it, it down so as to say that entire thing is a training that you get out of doing a good phd again there are bad pages in a good phds and you know much of it is dependent on your advisor and the kind of training that the advisor imparts to you and i really had a good phd advisor in that respect so much of things you know these things you cannot learn in a corporate environment nobody will ever teach you you will not learn this while doing your mba this happens when you write a lot of research papers so this is not something which somebody throws powerpoint slides at you and you quote and quote learn this happened this is the best kind of learning which is learning by doing so when you are writing papers when you are writing research papers which is something that you have to do if you want to graduate with a phd in computer science um you automatically come to you automatically learn how to structure how to structure an argument and later on as i kind of became a research scientist who was writing grants for a living you kind of stretch stretch this writing ability so now now you're not only just making an argument as to why what you have done is better than other people you're also telling people why you should finance what i'm doing which is at a higher level right you know there's one thing when saying well done boy well done and you know give you a little pat on the back and a little cookie and then there's another thing of like pouring literally hundreds and thousands of dollars in what you say that you want to be doing so the the bar for that is higher and you know i was lucky to get almost i mean more than a million dollars of funding myself by writing these things and you're doing that kind of research so this obviously helped when you're when you're writing for something in which you will expect people to pay you for that 
you know, the, the level of argument, the level that you have to obviously has to be elevated and escalated. And those are things which I have learned. I've also learned something which is very important, which is the ability to anticipate counterpoints and to make preemptive arguments. This does not help in marital arguments, though, of course, but it does help when you are writing a book or when you're trying to write a nonfiction. Because you know exactly how the other people are going to react to your certain argument. So either you don't make that argument where you know that it might lead you down a path where you don't want to go. Or along with the argument, you make the counter to the counter argument also. So this kind of, this kind of way to structure, this is now a part of me. And I feel that it helps me everywhere. Um, one of the one of the compliments that I've, I've gotten, and it kind of sounds silly to talk about your compliments, but is that that I'm able to present difficult things in an easy way, and that again is fully fully results from my training as a PhD student. I mean, I, if I had gotten into industry, I don't think I would have been able to be anything like this. So, in so that respect, of course, uh, the PhD changed my life. But is it, was it worth it? That's, that's another question. I mean, what, why? How does this help me in, in, in any shape or form? The problem is that, you know, this is, this is more, and, this, and so when people come and ask me, you know, should I do a PhD? I think my, my retort to it is kind of like the way Socrates, you know, did arguments. If you, if you read Socrates, you know, Socratic dialogue, which is again comes to us through Plato, Socrates never answers a question with, a, with an answer. He always answers a question with a question. Was Socrates an MBA? No, no. He, but, but unlike an MBA, Socrates was actually intelligent in the sense that he actually was trying to make a point. So it was, his, his asking a question to a question wasn't necessarily a way of deflecting the question, but he was trying to take you down a certain path by asking that question. There was a reason why he was asking that question. It wasn't that he didn't know the answer to it. That's the difference between Socrates and an MBA. So uh, Socrates knew, so, so, I mean, those are master ways. So, so again, for those of you, I would strongly recommend you reading them. So you see how you, how you basically lead somebody down a garden path, you know, you, in order to make him contradict what he said, you ask him certain questions. So he thinks that he's answering the questions which he feels, but you're basically making him go down his route whether, without you telling him to do that. So this is, these are fascinating ways of essentially, um, and, and many people adopt this, these techniques nowadays on social media though, but the original, the original, uh, you know, Twitter guy was Socrates before Twitter was Twitter. Uh, so again, coming to that, so my answer always is, who are you? I mean, do, what kind of, what do you want to get out of life? So one of the, one of the things that, one of the things that mistakes that I made was that, and, and, and this is one of the vital things that I would ask you is that don't make this decision too early. I just decided to do my PhD when I was like, I went to do my PhD when I was 23 years old. So the decision to do it was possibly taken when I was 21 or 22. And that was too early to do a PhD. That was too early to think of doing a PhD. So for those of you who are thinking of doing a PhD, my first response would be, once you graduate, work for two or three years. This is not just to give you industrial experience. That's okay. That's okay. But for you to understand what kind of a person you are, because when, when you're in college, when you're a student, you, you, your view of the world is warped. 
by because you 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 you're a student right that that's the thing you know somebody comes to the lecture hall somebody teaches you sit down you take notes you give exams you don't really understand the world as it is you understand the world as it is only when you first of all leave home and secondly when you work in an office so for me i didn't do that before i decided to go to decided before i decided to do a phd i basically maintained that whole you know student here now student in the us that's the wrong thing because it, when you're 22 or 23 you need to definitely come out of that student mode and become a professional you should become a professional for 2 3 years and then realize whether this is something if this is something which you like if you don't then yes definitely go back into your student mode and learn more but for many people they will realize that they don't want to go back into the student mode so the first thing about doing a phd is don't don't take the decision too early you can only because a phd is it's it's kind of like a marriage it's 5 years of your life and just doing the phd and pretty much the rest of your life li- living with the consequences of that and there is no divorce so a phd is something which you should consider very very deliberately consider before going into it if you have another choice so why would you want to do your phd so i think the answer is very obvious with phd people say oh i want to do phd because i want to be an academic i want to like make a contribution so first of all you know the, you have to understand that even if you manage to make it into academia which is increasingly becoming difficult increasingly becoming difficult with with trump and with you know in general with the state of the world where research funding is being ruthlessly cut uh where university budgets are shrinking whether the very nature of massively online uh, uh, where, where online learning is fundamentally changing the economics of the university where you don't really need and you know the prevalent the, the availability of learning material it's so ubiquitous and such so free that the model of learning from the 1990s when i grew up is absolutely gone the university is no longer the kind of temple for learning with its libraries and with its like, knowledge was basically a problem of access in those days if you wanted to contribute to your field you first had to get access to a good library that thing is gone you don't need so when we when we were in the 90s and my father who was a phd and a professor one of the main things was getting access to the latest academic journals that's no longer a problem anymore that problem is gone technology is taking care of that problem so the fa- very fact that i love my subject and i want to pursue it the, the, you don't require a university and you do not require a phd to do it if you are really motivated you can do it while working you can do it while you know have a startup do a startup if you have an idea if you have a strong technical idea then do a startup it's a much better thing than doing a phd because a phd in general is like a startup except that okay somebody else is paying you for it but you are producing something at the end which again could could be a bad startup could be a bad business idea but you're producing something which is at least on the face of it innovative you're producing some kind of solution so if you are so inclined if you're so good at engineering if you think yeah, i'm 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 too good and i'm very good at engineering i don't want to work for somebody else 
I don't want my fruit of labor to go and enrich somebody else. That's it's a very good thing. If you're that confident, then go and do a startup. Don't do a PhD. Why would you do a PhD? You can get the same. You can get the access to the knowledge is available to you. You don't need to go to a university. You don't need a piece of paper. Okay, I want to learn programming. I want to learn something. We'll go and get a certificate from Udemy. Who cares? In the coming world, nobody will care. And as I said this before, I think in one of the podcasts, you know, the worth of an MBA is not really the the material that you study; is the network that you that you get. That's why you have to do an MBA in one of the top schools because it's not so much the knowledge you're getting, but the friends you're making. With PhD, some of it is that. So then you. The, the reason why you do that is because of you want to go into academia. So much of the romanticism of academia, and I, as, as an academic, as a once academic, I can tell you this, is that it's not worth it. If you think that you're going to go into academia and do research and you because you love the subject or do teaching, welcome to the real world, man. Academic decisions, you know, are made based on business. They're mainly based on salesmanship. They're based on the amount of universities. Nowadays, increasingly make decisions based on the amount of research funding that you bring in. It's not how good you are as a researcher. Are you able to sell your research? And if you're going to spend so much time selling your research, comes back to the same thing. If you're going to make so, you know, spend so much of your life pursuing people to fund your research to support your own students. Why don't you just do a startup for crying out loud? It's the exact same thing at with more money in it. So the, so the reason why you want to go to an academia, that doesn't exist anymore, actually, for the engineering sciences. It just doesn't, I, I feel. And what happens with academia is that you essentially, I mean, I can say this from my experience, that as long as I was in academia, I feel that I was not financially compensated for the amount of things that I did. I mean, I make, to be honest, I, you know, when I was in academia versus when I am now, I make almost three times that money now that I'm in industry. For doing work, which I believe is nowhere closer in my, if I have any non-grade bong, non-any achievement that I did was done when I was making peanuts. That was when I, when I was 25, when I was 26, when I did you know, my greatest, again, I'm not very good. Okay, let's just be honest with you. I'm not very good. I'm not not a top-rate academic by any 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 definition of the term. But whatever I did, whatever I did was when I was a PhD student and just when I had graduated, which should have, if I look at the amount of impact that it had and the kind of intellectual heft it would have had, didn't make me anything. I got to make a lot more money for a lot less. When I was in, when I was, and I'm still in industry and over here, so you can say, well, that's because of your PhD. No, not actually not because of my PhD. As a matter of fact, the fact is that a PhD for me, now that I'm in industry is a financial loser. I cannot encash the years that I spent doing my PhD. That five years that I essentially lost the most productive years of one's life. And again, when the PhD was very productive. So basically, you're talking about the opportunity cost. Yes, of, uh, not just so you, it's not just the opportunity cost, but when you look at your, you know, in industry, you're obviously competing with your colleagues. I mean, your colleagues who didn't do a PhD have five years on you. You are five years behind them for, for, for somebody who's as good as you are. 
because they have these five years that they're banking on which you cannot bank because you were a goddamn student even though you were helping your your advisor write proposals you were working with other people you were doing you were doing high innovative high difficulty things that five years does not count you are a friggin' student that's the way the world looks at it the way world looks at it the most productive period of your time is that you were a bum that is the biggest problem with doing a phd you you cannot cash out and it's five years and i did it in five years there are people who take six seven eight years to do their phd so five years is rather a quick so five years includes my masters by the way so you know it took me two years to do my masters and three years to do my phd so i actually did it pretty quickly but there are people who first do a masters and then do five years in phds effectively seven years the people who took two years and seven years nine years so i am actually at the lower end of the amount of years of my life that i wasted but even then i feel it was 5 years too much and i heard somebody you know telling me well google and facebook they pay a lot of premium for facebook you know phd's why don't you join well first of all the answer to that is no they don't google facebook these places they don't have any hang ups about phd's okay they have hang they want to hire the smartest people people who can write huge amount of code okay and there's there's no correlation between doing your phd and being able to satisfy those metrics of success yes there are some certain phd's who can do it and there are certain masters and bachelors certain high school students who can do that and they and they do pretty well and there's there's a, again this this lack of understanding you know as to you know how innovative google and facebook and these places are no they're not they don't really work at the bleeding edge of technology anymore when when a company exceeds a certain size they no longer can in a way innovate to the extent that they need so what they do is they have a shitload of cash so they go around buying companies so they they basically innovate through acquisitions and then through tech transfer so they will buy facebook will buy an oculus they won't build it in house and because they have so much cash sitting you know some of their things just don't work out some of the technologies even they these these might be good prototypes but they just don't make that tech transfer jump they right. cannot be commercialized which is for them it's a question of reducing the risk because it's yeah. already proven now i can buy it yes and this again if for those of you who are saying google and facebook again i betray my age but there used to be bell labs and bellcore and at&t who were exactly like this in the 80s 90s and ibm too this was exactly the way they operated so you had somebody like bond stoss troop the guy who you know basically invented c++ they were all working in this research lab and the way that whole thing fell apart was that they made some technological bets that didn't pan out now google facebook they have a very different model they have obviously have more money and so but they also they the whole thing about innovation is that they nowadays they innovate through acquisitions they acquire things and so innovation basically happens in startups that's where innovations happen where the real envelope is pushed because you cannot i mean it's it's it, it's like weight right if you if if you if you have a lot of weight you you cannot run a marathon um so it's it, it's just that you know google facebook these are these are like heavyweights now and they just cannot move that fast they 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 have a lot of technical bureaucracy they have they have standards of quality you know when you're when you're doing when these startups you don't care about quality you know you make brittle products 
you make things, but you do it fast because you want to show that a technology idea works. That's the main thing. You're not concerned about robust it is. You're not concerned about whether it scales. You don't care for these things. Now, when Google and Facebook acquired these companies, then they concerned themselves. Okay, does this scale? Maybe it works. Maybe it makes sense when you have five users. But the moment you have 25 users, that five become five square. You know, your costs go by cube. It becomes 125 times. So the technology doesn't scale with the users. So we have to ditch it. So the thing is that when you say that, you know, smart PhDs work in Google and Facebook, that's not entirely true either. And the thing is, you don't need to be a PhD to do that kind of work. You just need to be a smart guy. I'm not saying that don't be a smart guy. You know, be a smart guy, know how to code, know how to do your stuff. And you will work in Google, Facebook. PhD has got nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact, you'll suffer the exact same problem in Google and Facebook if you have a PhD. So there are very few places in which, again, there might be certain niche places where, you know, that their research is being done where you'll... But then this is like saying, you know, take up cricket because, you know, you get paid so much money in IPL. There are very few people who will make that amount of money in IPL. Most people will play second division club cricket. That's what will happen to most people. So that itself cannot be a motivator unless, as I said, unless you have other very strong, you know, maybe you're the kind of person who doesn't really care for money. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that part. But unfortunately, doing your PhD and then moving in along, it has entirely become about money. If you are the kind of hermit who wants to sit there like Vishwamitra and do research, well, then go to a forest. Don't expect Menaka to come to you. She will not come. If you, the modern academia is about people who are, have PhDs, but they have a business development mindset. So if you are turned off by business development, if you are turned off by writing proposals to get money, if you're turned off by the idea of going after money, then don't do PhD. And if, which is, which is where in the paradox is, and if people who are turned on by these things actually go to do a PhD, they'll find there's not a lot of money for them. So why do a PhD? So that, that is, the, and ultimately the last thing that I want to say about PhD is even if you go, if you're one of the lucky few who are able to go into industry and find that you have, you know, you, I mean, I'll take my example of it. You know, I, when I started my PhD, I was doing my PhD in essentially theoretical computer science, which was the kind of border between computer science and mathematics. You know, not very easy to get jobs. I tried for academic jobs initially. Then I moved into I, my, my first job was for General Motors. And then I worked for about 12 years in a place which was like a research consultancy. I was also an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland College Park. I was teaching courses, but I was mostly, you know, doing, doing everything, doing business development as well as doing really hardcore research. And I enjoyed it a lot. I really enjoyed the intellectual challenges of those days, but also, but then I had my daughter and I realized I wasn't making enough money. I mean, I did enjoy I did enjoy that academic freedom. But again, I also found that my academic freedom was also not an absolute. I was going where the money was, just like every other academic. So it's not that, oh, God damn it, I really like working on theoretical computer science. I'm going to do it for the next 40 years till I die. No, you can't do that. 
unless you have an inheritance unless you have a unless you are you know ambani or gandhi or somebody you, you, you do not have that luxury you have to so even that 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 the kind of ideal we have of this pristineness of doing a phd this this academic person who makes who lives for the joy of for, of of his topic that's also not absolutely true in order for you to stay you have to pivot you have to follow the money you have to make compromises so why even bother why even bother doing this because you're not going to be doing that which you really like and again which comes back to the point are you this kind of a person you will not realize that when you're 23 years old it takes you i would say i i when i finished my phd i was 28 i was not even 28 when i finished my phd which was way too young to finish a phd way too young to and it was just over like this before i even realized what i was doing so the final point again is that you know even if you become and you go into academia you'll ultimately find that you are will always be even if you are a very very smart guy who knows everything that you are ultimately will be perceived as a subject matter expert you are kind of the geek you are kind of a backroom boy so if you're okay with that that's fine but you realize that you will not get the glory if you stay in academia you can get the glory yes you are the professor you have students who say sir or something you get the glory in academia academia actually there's no money but there is glory but if you sacrifice that glory and you try to go for the money you'll absolutely lose all glory in industry in industry you're a faceless person and you will feel frustrated sometimes that god damn it i'm a phd i have a suffix to my name i well nobody cares nobody gives an f really honestly you are nothing no different and it's inevitable that when you do a phd you get some kind of like hey i did my phd man this is not an easy thing you know what i had to do to get a phd yeah well nobody really cares man so you will find that nothing that you learned there is making any difference you are perceived just like everybody else and of course in your hubris you can put a phd at the end of your linkedin profile like i do but it, it it ultimately does not make any sense you will ultimately find that you, that the, those who have done their mbas they are the guys who are getting the glory they are the guys who are basically living off what you are doing and that's really the way corporate the corporate environment is set up that you know people who take the decisions and you're not the guy who's taking decisions you're taking technical decisions mind you because nobody else knows what you're doing so you take the technical decisions so you'll find people will say you're a, you're a leader you know people who are subject matter experts are leaders so they're leaders in the sense that they they take technical decisions but they don't but they're not allowed to take business decisions and ultimately in a business the only thing that matters is the business decisions yeah. natural right technical decision is like so business decision is okay you know my my sink is leaking okay so there comes this guy you will say i'll fix your sink if 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 the sink is fixed you say that guy is good he fixed my sink now the guy who fixed your sink has a phd who's who's come with him so he tells the phd hey this guy wants the sink to be fixed and the phd guy says i think we should use bolt you know bolt number 6 now it's that might be a masterful move maybe bolt number 5 wouldn't have worked and the water would have burst out so he uses bolt number 6 but the guy who commissioned the work he doesn't know that he doesn't understand what just happened naturally neither does the mba 
the guy fixed the problem, but the MBA is the guy who gets the credit because he says, you know, you had a business problem. You wanted your sink. You wanted to fix the leaking sink. We fix the leaking sink. But the real innovation, the real awesome thing happened with the guy who chose bolt number six. But nobody will ever know. Nobody will ever know that. And that's really where the frustration will come because you, you are the only person who knows what you exactly did. And nobody else will know that. And if you can live with that, then you're a better person than I am. (laughs) But that's why I say that, you know, doing a PhD very, very careful. And again, I wish people had talked to me like this when I was thinking about this, but nobody did. And I didn't ask anyone either, to be honest. But having lived the life, you know, being, you know, having and being in like in my mid 40s now, going into my mid 40s soon, I would say. You know, I, I realize and this 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 thing only can come from perspective and from life experience. So that's that's it for today, I would say. There was a short one. Uh, okay. Uh, it was more about why not to do a PhD than why to do a PhD, unfortunately. I hope we have not turned off too many people from doing one, but no, that's it. No, wait, hold on. Okay. So again, I'll Repeat what I said in the beginning. If you are in the humanities, if you are in physics, you don't have that choice. You have to do your PhD. And I told you why you have to do your PhD, because otherwise, I mean, you're, you, you cannot be in physics if you haven't done a PhD. And if you haven't done a postdoc, actually, and as I understand, multiple postdocs. But if you, are, if you have decided to do an engineering you know, in any kind of engineering, and you feel that that's something which you want to do, that's where I'm saying that it is, at least the way I see it, I don't see that a PhD works out in this day and age, because things have changed, because many people still have that wrong idea about what academia is. They say PhDs are for academics, Well, academics are not what you think they are. Successful academics now are businessmen. In the, even the top universities of the U.S., and I've, I've been fortunate enough to be affiliated with one of them, the best, increasingly, I will say, increasingly, the professors that do well are essentially people who, who could well have gone and started their startups, that they choose to be in the university is a function of the person that they are, that they would rather deal with. They would rather deal with the National Science Foundation or DARPA than deal with private equity. Well, that's, just, that's just the kind of persons there, but they're very, very few. And looking at them and making a decision is like looking at Virat Kohli and thinking that cricket, that it, it, it is perfectly a financially valid decision to want to become a cricketer, to look at Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli, because they're not typical, they're exceptional people. And you're making a decision based on looking at very exceptional people who could have been as been a success in any other thing. They didn't actually need the PhD to be successful. Even if they had just graduated with an engineering, they would have reached there somehow. So that's the that's what I'm warning you against. So basically, know what you're getting into and kind of define your success criteria. Define a new, as I said, be be mature. I mean, when you're 21, when you're 22, you really don't know what you want in life. And you haven't even observed the world long enough to be able to come to conclusions. I mean, at 21, 22, all I wanted was to watch more Mithun movies. And is Shilpa Shirotka <laughs> doing more movies or not? Why isn't she in more movies? See, when you are in this state of mind, how can you take a decision on PhD? This is this this case this cannot be right. Think about it. 
So you have to step past that phase when you've seen some amount of the world, you have worked in an office, you realize the kind of person you are, how much stress you can take, how much uncertainty you can take, whether you like discipline in your life or whether you don't. Only once you come to know yourself, only once you have lived as what Socrates used to call the examined life, where you examine how you come to a conclusion, not the fact that you've come to a conclusion, not that I want to have biryani today and I want to have Chinese tomorrow. Why do I want to have biryani today, not Chinese today? Once you're able to analyze that, that is when you are, I would say, at, again, but that is when you can decide where I should be, even the person. So like you said, getting a PhD is like uh, getting into a relationship. Know yourself and know what you're getting into. Yes, yes. I I, I said that a while ago, that this is a PhD is like a marriage. It is like a marriage. It is like five years. People think it's five years. No, you, you live with it for the rest of your life and there's no divorce. And when you do it, you do it. It's done. So yes, it's exactly. <laughs> so it's a very serious thing. This is not, this is not a light thing. And it's saying this, 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 this is going to affect you for the rest of your life. So be very, 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 very careful. Do not be flipped. Do not take a decision the way I did, which is, oh, all my smart friends are doing PhD. So if I don't do my PhD, I'm not smart. Hmm? Don't do that. Don't, you know, don't, my dad is a PhD. I need to do a PhD to measure up to him. Don't do those things. You know, that's the totally wrong way to do a PhD. And I did it. That's exactly the way I got into PhD and I totally regret. Okay, take a step back. I don't totally regret the PhD, but I regret having not thought through it. So obviously there's something which I learned and which I can leverage every day in my life. And I'm, and I'm glad and I'm grateful for that. But was it worth it? Was it worth those five years as a return on investment? That is the question. I don't think it was worth that five years return on investment, not only in terms of the money lost, but you know how it builds you up and what your expectations of the world become as a result of that. So in totality, I would say, at least for me, it was not worth it. Okay. Uh, that's uh, pretty much our podcast for today. And uh, as always, let me remind you that we love hearing from you and you can do that in many ways. One is you can tweet out to Arnab. He's of course there as at Great Bong or me at uh, the Vikram Mohan or Talking Stuff Net. You can also email us at uh, appodcast at talkingstuff.net or WhatsApp us 96525-788833. So we've, you literally have no excuse not to reach out to us. And... As always, let me also remind you about the Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash greatbong. And the only way to show you care is money. So please pledge your uh, whatever amount which you can. And it it helps Arnab support the podcast. So uh, that's, uh, like I said, that's it for uh, this week. And uh, until next time, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.